0: everyone, welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me as always is Sean
1: Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Oh man, I, I really like both these episodes, but as I watch the second one, which is called Trial, I, I, I always start to remember how much of... It's basically White Knight. Like there's so yeah. many things in that episode <laughs> that I, I hijacked accidentally, like... I feel the need to defend myself when we start talking about that episode. Yeah,
0: I will give you I'll give you uh, I'll give you the podium to do so cuz I I I, just, I would be lying if I said I wasn't thinking the same thing. But uh yeah, we're, we're talking about uh two episodes today. We're talking about uh, A Bullet for Bullock and The Trial. So uh, we'll take a quick break. Play the uh We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about Bullet for Bullock. Mm-hmm. A Bullet for Bullock, written by Michael Reeves, directed by Frank Power. And in this one, someone has put a hit out on Gotham's toughest cop, Harvey Bullock. After surviving several near-misses, Bullock realizes he has no choice but to ask his arch-rival, Batman, to help him discover who is behind the murder attempts. During their investigation, Bullock learns that his gruff and mean-spirited manner has created enemies in the unlikeliest of people, notes based on the comic of the same name from detective comics number 651 October 1992 by Chuck Dixon and this episode won the 1996 daytime Emmy award for outstanding music direction and composition which mm. I did want to mention because the music in this episode was not written by Shirley Walker
1: Yeah, uh, I caught that too. Yeah, it
0: was written by Harvey Cohen who um who did I think 9 or 9 or 10 or 11 episodes of uh Across Batman: The Animated Series and the New Batman Adventures, um, and yeah, the music really stood out to me in this one because it it felt a lot like '60s Batman. It was a very kind of like uh, throwbacky uh, '60s jazz kind of thing.
1: <laughs> that was yeah. Um, they had that like uh, that detective saxophone sound. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. The, do- <laughs> like the- detective. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Or like this, this sadder one it's sort of a little bit from like a Lethal Weapon, where you have that detective at the end of a long day mm-hmm. sitting down and take you know plopping down at his desk, finding the bottle of whiskey he has hidden, like that 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 kind of music.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was uh, I, I was reading that the composer said it was um, shortly after Henry Mancini died. Henry, Henry Mancini is a, a famous uh, film composer. From from that era, and so he was oh. a big influence on on the music written. Uh, it was sort of sort of it was a, at least in his mind, if not a direct tribute when he was writing the music. Yeah. So it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Now the music is the best character in this episode. Uh, oh, there's definitely. There's even a point where they they start playing the Batman theme song, like from the show itself, with sacrosophones and a piano or whatever else they had. Oh, really? And I, thought I it didn't was, catch I it thought up. it was yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, I I don't know what version you watched, but the one that I watched had the Adventures of Batman and Robin different intro that has yeah. a completely different theme and uh, the the images you're seeing are are just clips. It's basically a clip show from previous episodes. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, it has the... Uh, with Robin and Batman jumping towards the cam- camera at the very end. I think so, yes, yeah. Yeah, like falling down from a snowy cliff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah when did they first start using that well, opening? Is this the first episode? Is that what you're suggesting? It, yeah, it's... um.
0: Nine nine out of the twenty episodes of this second season, so this uh, episodes number sixty five through uh, eighty five. Nine yeah. of nine of them featured uh, the on screen title of the Adventures of Batman and Robin, uh, and featured the new music and stuff. Which I yeah. it's it's such an odd like why I I'm I'm not sure why nine out of these twenty episodes they chose to do differently. Um, maybe, no, it's not, I was looking, I was, I thought maybe it was the ones that with the music by Harvey Cohen, but it's not, um, that seems to not have any.
1: So are you asking why they would go with someone other than Shirley Walker? No,
0: I'm trying to figure out why they picked, it's seemingly a, a random nine episodes of this 20 episode second season to give a different title to the show.
1: Oh I see. sorry.
0: yeah. so not nine nine of the episodes yeah. are have the intro that says the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Got
1: it. Yeah, um, so there wasn't like was there like a decision from the top where they decided to rebrand it. It doesn't seem that way because the new intro kind of is intermittent.
0: Yeah, i, I I'm, I'm thinking maybe it has something to do with uh, date of airing because it, the the yeah. the version the order that we're watching them in, I believe is not the order in which they were aired. So maybe, maybe the order in which they were aired, these nine episodes that are now the adventures of Batman and Robin were all aired together. And so it's, (laughs) it's
1: a shift for when they were, when they were aired.
0: I don't know. That's probably, if I had to guess, it's probably the name
1: of the, why would they make it so that the number, the number of each episode isn't dictated by the sequence of when it aired?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: Is that the order number? Like, that's the 68th one that we wrote, but we didn't actually get to air it until the 75th episode. It just... Who knows? I mean, there's probably simple explanations for this stuff. So yeah. It might not be that much of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know. But uh, either way, we're going to be seeing that different introduction uh, intermittently. Um, no. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Bullet for Bullock. I um I really like the idea of this episode. Um, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it goes as far as I would like it to, but I, I yeah. do... I do like the idea um, that Bullock has to reach out to Batman for help because yep. because Bat- Bullock has so many people that want to kill him that he can't figure out who it yeah.
1: is. Yeah, I, I have the same takeaway, honestly. This has always been one of my – I thought it was one of my favorites because it's such a different episode, and I like the idea of this. Again, if you pitched this to me, I'd be like, that sounds great. Um, but I think where I'd like it to be better is there's, there's two things happening. Is this about Bullock being a jerk who's a slob, who bends the rules, who's like two steps away from being corrupt? Mm. Or is this about how he and Batman are very similar? Um, and I think the second question is probably more interesting. And you can keep the first question. So if this episode is trying to say Bullock is kind of a bad guy. who break, He's the sort of the anti who breaks the rules every now and then. He hates Batman. But Batman's willing to help him. And by the end of it, they find out that they have a lot in common that sounds a little stronger to me but I don't think they were pushing into that as much as they could have
0: yeah it seems to be a little bit of both and ultimately it gets a little muddled I think yeah um, because yeah I, I I find it interesting I find the first question interesting but uh-huh. it only works if Bullock makes some sort of either learns a lesson at the end or doubles down on the way he does things And You're right he, and he doesn't he do doesn't either he doesn't do either of those things
1: yeah. Um, and he the, acknowledges that he bother, he bothers his landlord and decides to maybe find a new place. So I don't know what kind of conclusion that is for him. Yeah, he doesn't
0: he doesn't come away thinking like, man, lots of people want to kill me. I am not a great person, and I, <laughs> I uh, internal affairs is breathing down my neck all the time. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe I am not as as good a cop as I thought I was. Uh, you right. know, th- it, it, but it, it's just sort of yeah, it's very uh, it's it's a very comical ending. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the second question, uh, Batman and, and Bullock being, being very similar. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting too, but they never, uh, really get into that at all. I, I was actually, um, I, that, yeah. that sort of, that sort of brings up the thing I thought was missing from this episode, which is a scene where they, where Batman and Bullock directly address that or where Batman mm-hmm. directly addresses that, where yeah. sort of like a, uh, there, there uh there's a famous uh, issue of the punisher that's been going around recently given all that's happening in the world regarding the police mm-hmm. and uh adopting certain symbols of vigilantes and whatnot where um the punisher pulls the punisher symbol off of a cop's uniform and tears it up and sa- and says essentially like you and I are not the same you took an oath to serve and protect and I XY, you know like there's there's a hard mm-hmm. line drawn by those character that character as to why what he's doing is different than what the police are doing. And right. I think that's important for Batman to acknowledge as well. And he doesn't do that here. And maybe that's too heavy for a kid's show. I don't know. But there's there's no real moment where Batman is like, no, we're not the same because hmm. I have my job because of people like you. Because, right. because you guys don't get the job done, I have to do things the way that I do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I think I agree with all of what you just said, and I also wish they found a way for them to, like, work together. Maybe, like, if Batman had fallen and dropped his Batarang and Bullock had to use the Batarang, you know, so symbolically having to do what Batman does, literally with a Batarang. You know, that's a little cliche, but Mm -hmm. something like that where they kind of silently nod to each other from across the room as they were fighting bad guys in a way that was like, oh, we're really working together on this, and maybe we're not so different after all, you know, that yeah. whole thing. Yeah,
0: I, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know if Batman would really like that because he seems to not like Bullock either. Yeah, <laughs> he seems, yeah, to, I mean, he seems that's to only be helping only be helping him
1: because he's, he's right,
0: you know, he's a cop that needs help and get someone out for him. Right.
1: Well, that would be even more interesting is if Batman and Bullock were teamed up, and Batman there was a third character, maybe it was like Gordon, who says, uh, "You and." Gordon are a lot. You and Bullock are a lot alike, and Batman's like bullshit. Like I'm not right, like that guy. And right. He's even more annoyed by people seeing what he and Bullock can't see. You know. <laughs> right.
0: Well, the the character to do that in this episode would be Montoya, because Montoya. Oh my god,
1: you're totally right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Montoya is there, but she's not really doing anything. She's just sort of along for the ride, and yeah. uh, she would be perfect for that.
1: Yeah, and I, I always found her very interesting, and I was sort of disappointed by how little she had to do in this episode.
0: Yeah. Do you what? Do you know when she kind of comes into her own? Does she not come into her own in, until the the comics, really?
1: Yeah, well, she was created for this episode. Sorry, for this series. And then she was turned into a comic. And then she was transferred into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might have been, even been some overlap where um, they created her. DC Comics knew about her. And they actually put her in a comic before the cartoon aired. Mm-hmm. But I I believe she was created just for the series. Um, And as far as I, I mean, I feel like she comes in her own and POV in season one. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Like she never really has a really big episode after that. Unless there's one I'm, Missing, and I haven't seen a lot of like Justice League and the other stuff, so maybe she has, uh, you know, an episode like that later on, and I'm not aware.
0: Yeah, most of the stuff that I know, I like, I she's sort of a, a, a level, and I don't mean that quality wise, but she's like a B level Harley Quinn for me, where it's mm-hmm. like I know her from the show, but mm-hmm. I know more about her from the comics, like because yeah. in the comics she's, uh, I mean, you made her police commissioner, obviously, in, in Curse of the yeah. White Knight um she was the question for a while uh, she may still yeah. be the question i'm not sure um i don't think they mentioned that she's gay in in the show but they she's a lesbian in the comics so that's yeah that's a and gotham deal.
1: central is a big right, uh, series central, for her yeah, yeah greg is, rucka i just it is just so sorry.
0: crazy to me though that, <laughs> they made they, they created this character for the show and then they're like oh that's a cool character let's put it in the comics it's like yeah it would be it's crazy that there's a female cop in Gotham City, isn't it? Like it's a this <laughs> revelation, I guess, to some right. people that there might be a female cop.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was uh I, I again, you know, this universe is my introduction to Batman, mm. so it never it's always felt very natural for there ever to be female cops. And obviously there are women cops in real life. duh. um yeah, but for comics to go as long as they have. And I don't know how bad they were at this like maybe somebody can answer like how many female cops were really in gotham city police department up until the 80s you know like because i'm imagining that montoya was introduced in like 1992 or 93 yeah 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 like i would imagine that you would have cops female cops in the background i mean like you know neil adams and a lot of those guys are very progressive and you know why wouldn't you? I mean, everyone knows that women are in police departments, so they've got to be in there, but not not a main character like Montoya. Yeah, at least at least not a recurring character anyway. I it, it, yeah. it doesn't seem like it.
0: And Brett, speaking of Neil Adams, uh obviously the comics <laughs> world just lost Denny O'Neil, who is a very influential Batman writer and and writer yeah. across the board, which is a, a
1: bummer. Yeah, he wrote the um did you do Nightfall? Uh yes. I uh I yeah. think so.
0: Yes, he did. Yeah.
1: And, and did he do the uh, Azriel, the first Asriel series um, I, I believe with Joe he, Quesada?
0: I believe he did, yes. I think Asriel yeah. is his creation. Don't quote me uh, on yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. That's what I, I posted on Instagram. I you know I wanted to say something, but I didn't really know him, and I always feel weird. So I, I just posted a picture of Azrael and quoted Paul Dini, who seems to have known him pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm bummed I didn't get to meet him. Yeah, great career. Great writer.
0: Moment of silence over. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this episode uh I, I there there's some fun stuff like uh, uh background stuff in it where I think um who's that villain there that he's fighting?
1: Uh, the, <laughs> he looks like Jeffrey Epstein. Well, I was villain. gonna
0: say I think he's modeled after um, Lee Marvin. He looks a mm-hmm. lot like Lee Marvin and he kind of sounds like him too. I actually looked on the credits on at least on the episode, he's not credited with with someone doing his voice. Um, right. I don't know if it's the same, maybe it's the same guy who does the landlord's voice, which is uh, Jeffrey Jones, the dad from Beetlejuice.
1: Oh, Lee Marvin, yeah, that's totally him. That's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, what is it about the guy from Beetlejuice? The
0: guy from Beetlejuice, the dad from Beetlejuice does the voice of the landlord.
1: Oh, yeah. And I yeah.
0: I, I, I wonder if he's not also doing uh, Vinny the Shark's voice, because Vinny the Shark isn't credited with a voice in the credits, so it might just be the oh, same guy. Yeah. Uh but yeah, he's got yeah, he a really unique face. Yeah, it's a really it's a really unique face uh to draw on a character. Um he's only in the episode briefly as as a red herring more or less. Um Yeah. But yeah, it, this episode has a lot of like I think it's more fun for the uh s- the little side pieces than it is for the the actual story they're telling
1: yeah you know the, the A plot where it's him and Batman finding clues about this uh, drug dealer is pretty run of the mill mm-hmm. the most interesting stuff really does happen with Batman and Bullock not getting along and then with Bullock and his landlord yeah um, I, like I couldn't if you asked me to tell you exactly what happened with the A story I, I wouldn't be able to do it yes <laughs> it's like I don't know what's going on because I already know the ending I know that this isn't <laughs> this does not really matter <laughs>
0: yeah uh, I thought it was. I, uh, I hadn't watched this episode in a very long time, so I, I didn't exactly remember what the ending was. So I, I thought maybe it was going to be um, a Murder on the Orient Express kind of thing, where it's it's like an inversion of that, where it's uh, it's not that someone specifically is out to get Bullock; it's that so many people hate him that it just mm-hmm. seems like everybody's out to get him. You know what I mean? Like they can't they yeah. can't even pin it down to one person who has it out for him because everybody right. just thinks he sucks
1: yeah and you know that's yeah, why i mean sorry i was just gonna say sorry, that's why it
0: bugs me that he doesn't ultimately learn any lesson or anything or double down because yeah the stuff that's really interesting i think are the little vignettes of watching him interact with these people and 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 seeing how everybody mm-hmm. thinks he's a piece of crap and see and yeah. see how he acts because he is a piece of crap because like the sequence with uh summer gleason Uh, I thought that tries to put on the charm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then he after she says after she uh, uh, stonewalls him, he goes and destroys her office. (laughs) You know, like that. That's the kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's the kind of thing like where for him, I can see that making sense as something to do in his twisted Mm -hmm. uh, bad cop or or questionable cop kind of mind. Um, But then he he takes no ownership of the stuff that he does.
1: Yeah. So if we had to quickly rewrite this, uh, I feel like what we should do is it starts off with him getting <clears throat> um, suspended for something. And Gordon or Montoya or somebody tells him, listen, not only do you bend the rules, not only is uh, internal affairs uh, looking into you, but you're just rude, obnoxious. You've got no one to defend you. I mean, you don't you need to take care of yourself, Harvey. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying you weren't once a good cop, but like something's happened to you. Right. And they kind of laid it out for him. So he gives up his badge and his gun, he goes home, and somehow uh, he, he calls Batman and says he needs Batman's help, because no one in the police department can help him because of the AI investigation. So that would be a legitimate reason for Bullock actually needing Batman's help, because he can't really work rely on any of his friends. Mm-hmm. So then you have this idea of Batman's working with this ousted cop, and Gordon maybe even doesn't believe in Bullock, but Batman maybe does. And by the end of the episode, the way that you would show Bullock learning his lesson or overcoming in some way would be he gets his badge back, you know? Sure. Yeah. Something like that. So you would have been able to do all the things that are, that we like about this, but then you would, it it would have fixed the other things that we kind of have problems with.
0: Yeah. I think, I think I would, I would take the, I think I would end up doing kind of what I was just talking about, where there actually isn't somebody after him. It's, Mm -hmm. and and that's something Batman knows. So he goes to Batman. So he sees, it seems like people are having out for him. uh, And, he goes to Batman and in the course of the story, they end up finding this drug dealer and taking down this guy or whatever. But that mm-hmm. ends up being completely unrelated. And right. when he gets into uh, Batman's face about, you never found the guy who was after me. Batman is like, I didn't, there's nobody after you. you this is just how you are. And mm-hmm. so, and, and so then he has the, so he's gone through all of these, these little vignettes of, of showing the uh, crappiness of his own personality. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, he either, he when he when he's confronted with that he either makes a decision or or he, he either, i most likely he probably doubles down. I think that's what I think that's what happens because otherwise you have to like commit to Harvey Bullock changing as a character which which is not going to happen. But like yeah. if 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 confronted with that he either makes some sort of like minor acknowledgement and then kind of brushes it off or he just mm-hmm. completely doubles down. I think that's a that's an interesting story too. Um,
1: or he could do both. He could double down, but still show that he's grown a little bit. Sure, like yes. Maybe Montoya is pissed off for a specific reason. And at the very end, he shrugs it off, doubles down, but then he actually does the thing that she was asking him right, to do. Right. You know. Yeah.
0: It's funny. It's it's funny that we watched this episode because last night we watched the movie um, Black Rain. The Michael Douglas Uh, movie where he's a a New York cop who gets tossed into the crazy world of Japan in the 80s to try and take down a drug dealer or something.
1: (laughs) I've never seen that. Is it
0: worth it? (laughs) uh, You know, I don't think it's not worth it, but it's not one of the better films from either Michael Douglas or Ridley Scott. But it looks amazing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that's amazing Mm -hmm. is I'm watching this movie and it's such a – it's such – a movie at the end of the rogue cop thing that started uh-huh. in the 70s and kind of petered out towards the beginning of the 90s that i'm watching this just thinking michael douglas is just a bad cop he's he's <laughs> not he like, like he's not involved in the story in any way that makes it like personal at least until later in the movie anyway and he right. got he ends up being sent to japan and he's doing all this like tough guy rogue cop stuff and I'm watching it going like all he's doing is making this way more difficult for the Japanese police (laughs) than it needs to be because he's like you know stealing stuff from uh, stealing stealing evidence from crime scenes and you know punching Mm -hmm. people in the face and stuff and getting and it's just it's just not helping but doesn't he have a motorcycle in one part? He has a motorcycle in the first five minutes of the movie. And that doesn't, that doesn't come up again until the last five minutes of the movie.
1: Damn it. That's what I, (laughs) that's the only reason. That's the only thing I know about that movie is the poster, which had, and I thought, man, I got to see a, I'd see an 80s movie with Michael Douglas on a motorcycle. Yeah, great. Poster. I don't care what it's about. Poster's <laughs> awesome. I've seen it. that was a poster I saw in the video store
0: for years and years and years, and I never watched it, but I thought the movie the poster was cool. But yeah, it's it's a it's a two hour movie that really could have been like an hour and a half tops, and it would have been oh great. wow yeah.
1: yeah that's a long movie for 1989 or yeah. whatever. But it's it's like
0: uh, you're watching this rogue cop character who is being nothing but unhelpful, and then ultimately mm-hmm. at the end proves to have learned nothing and yeah. you know it's it's kind of like well what where does this can you still do a story like this after at the end of this cycle without yeah. there being some sort of spin on it and uh they chose not to do that. So seeing this one yeah. this episode right after that was was funny because it was kind of a similar thing where it's just Harvey Bullock being a shitty cop and not not people are calling him on it and he's just yeah. not really recognizing it. Like honestly, <laughs> I kind of yeah. was siding with the landlord because He's, he's got this rent-controlled apartment, which is fine. i get got no problem with that. But he's the only apartment in this seemingly nice building that is full of cockroaches. <laughs> That's just yeah. bad for everybody.
1: Well, a we, little side note here, everybody listening. Clay has a neighbor that he's not a fan of. who Clay's kind of in a similar situation with one of his tenants. <laughs> yeah,
0: I haven't pushed that person in front of a train yet. So Not yet. Yeah.
1: I mean, you pushed her mail on the bottom of the stairs. or whatever. Uh, No, no, I will not touch it, but we don't need to get into that. That's part okay, of the problem sorry. is that I won't touch it. Well, I hope she, we. Too bad. I mean, I hope she's not a listener of the podcast. But uh, you know, if you are, please leave a comment in the section below. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think the best thing we ever said about Harvey Bullock <clears throat> is that he thinks he's like Dick Tracy. Right. But he's not. Right. And, and that's. Uh, the,
0: Sorry I was just going and that's and that's what I want I think out of this episode is I want to, him co- to be confronted
1: with yeah. the person he actually is right yeah that's actually what i I was having a hard time thinking thinking of what I would want to draw from this um and I guess my only answer would be I, I want to draw a comic about that features Harvey Bullock mm-hmm. and I want to do a story like this, but I want him I want to address the fact that he thinks he's Dick Tracy, but he's not right um but I don't know if like has there ever been a Harvey Bullock comic out there there must have been something uh,
0: i have to imagine somewhere along the way they did a one shot or something uh yeah or or a sub or an episode an issue of detective Com- well i mean this one i guess it's
1: based on an episode yeah. of <laughs> an issue of detective comics right so probably this one <laughs> but he's never had his own series I, think, uh, I don't think uh, so no because commissioner gordon did i think because klaus jansen drew it or wrote and drew it I oh okay, no back in the 90s but yeah, I don't think there's ever been, and why, who would, and I would read that, I think that's interesting, but I don't know if there's a market out there for a title called, you know, Batman White Knight Presents, you know, James, uh, Harvey Bullock or yeah. whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, uh, that's sort of the, it's not specifically Bullock, but that's sort of the under, <laughs> underpinnings of Gotham Central, right, where
1: it's, it's, it's how. He's not in it a whole lot, is though. Is he, I've actually,
0: I, mean, I, I think I read the first trade, I know people love it, but it's just not something I kept up with.
1: Yeah, it is really good. I was surprised Bullock wasn't in it more. I thought he'd be a feature. Yeah. He, it starts when he's already been let go. So he'll make an appearance every now and then, but he's not in it a whole lot, honestly. Really, really,
0: yeah. It's kind of surprising.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's like 15 other characters. Like, the, each uh, issue opens up with a lineup, just so you can remember what, who everybody is. Oh there's wow! A ton of characters in it. Yeah. Yeah, probably too many to keep track of. But if, you know, if you're really, if you're a crime junkie and you're into that stuff, then you're going to love it. Me, I like I like my stories to have like no more than six important characters, if you can help it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I did want to mention I've never mentioned this before, but for some reason it stood out to me in this episode. Whatever the sound effect is that they use for the sound of the Batmobile idling is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, if it's actual uh, recording of an engine or if it's something they folied and it sounds cool. It's just got a really uh, yeah. specific, unique kind of sound to it.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like an American V8 with, an interest, with a custom muffler of some kind. But it's funny because it's—I guess—it's a turbine at the same time, and a turbine engine does not sound like a V-eight or any kind of piston engine. So I always wondered if, like, the Batmobile actually had two engines—one when it needed to use its turbine thrusters, and one that was more like a V-eight or something.
0: Yeah, they should do an episode about that.
1: Yeah, no one—I know nobody cares except for me. <laughs> well, that,
0: that sort of brings me to what I was going to say. I wanted to draw because I, I thought that you were going to say this. <laughs> The, uh, the sequence where they take down uh, Vinny the shark, or whatever his name is, uh, yeah. unless I was not paying super attention, it looked like it was t- it took place in either a car factory or some sort of a, p- a place where they had an empty car chassis hanging from a <laughs> ceiling. And, they did,
1: yeah. And whether <laughs> or not Lee, was whether or not that's
0: actually what it was, or if it was just a place that happened to have a car hanging from the ceiling. I was <laughs> thinking that drawing a Batman fight inside a car factory would be really cool. I would hate doing it, but I think yeah. it would be it, it reminded me of that scene
1: from Minority Report. I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah that's a great scene, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a
0: great fight scene. And I, I was thinking about something like that and I was like that, you know, you don't really see People don't like drawing cars in comics, so you never see stuff like that. But yeah. I imagine I imagine you would love drawing that.
1: I would. That should have been my answer. You're right. I forgot about that stuff. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is because I just drew a, a scene in Plot Holes where the guy's get into a DeLorean, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's a huge garage. Like, one of the characters keeps all these vehicles that they could possibly use when they jump from book to book. So he basically has, like, a Jay Leno garage just because he's kind of a gearhead. Sure. And once I finish drawing the DeLorean, which is actually a pretty fun, easy car to draw... Then it's like, oh, man, I got a bunch of cars in the background. Like, how much time do I want to spend on a 944 Porsche that no one's going to give a shit about, you know? <laughs> so I'll draw, like, a nice hubcap in the foreground or, like, an interesting tail, maybe a weird spoiler. And they'll just, like, yeah, people get the idea. Like, they know how I know how to draw cars. So mm. At some point, this comic has to get finished.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to put, put your energy into the DeLorean and then let people yeah. use
1: their imagination for the background cars. Yeah. That's why any time I, did- I draw
0: people in a garage, it's always at night.
1: Yeah, I with, don't blame you, man. With, and with there's no only so on. much information the reader needs, too, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, that's one thing that I'm super jealous of uh, that I haven't figured out how to do yet, really, is you know, I, your car drawings are super technical. It's not that you don't mm-hmm. know how to do what I'm going to say, because obviously you do. Right. But um, your stuff is usually super technical, and you can really see the, all of the ins and outs of the cars that you're driving, that, that you're drawing. Yep. I've always been impressed by people who can really get across cars with uh silhouettes and like heavy blacks yeah because it's really difficult to do because you have to be able to to get that the the black shape that you're putting down to be recognizable as a car Mm -hmm. and there are very specific you know uh shapes and, and angles and stuff to make that work and depending on how much information you put into it and whatnot it can be very difficult to to yeah. Make that
1: believable, right? You know who's really great at that is uh, Eduardo Rizzo. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really famous artist. A lot of good crime noir. He can draw cars, like he can draw whatever he needs to draw. He's amazing, but he also knows that he tries to limit the amount of detail he gives you, mm-hmm. not only to save him time and energy, but just to create effect, and create focus. You know, right, right. So he'll draw the shit out of one car just so you know you know that it's a car, and then the rest of the panels will be suggesting the car. Um, yeah. And I love less is more. I, I have a hard time doing it because I enjoy drawing cars. Mm-hmm. So if you just leave me like me drawing a car factory, you might as well just make it my grave because I'm just never going to leave, <laughs> you know?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, when I, when I, fi- when, uh, <laughs> when someone finally decides to, to be the saliery to your Mozart, that's how they're going to kill you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. That is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> just me dead in a car factory. Cover me with lime and just shove me into a hole somewhere. The French curve. I use the French curve. No, not the French curve. Can
0: you see it now? Yes. Yes. I see it. <laughs> the fender. I see the
1: fender. <laughs> they can hear the engine because they're so trained as mechanics, even though no one else can hear the engine. They can look at blueprints yeah. and know what that engine is gonna sound like. You turn the key and then bum bum it, it yep. the engine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then you try to seduce the other guy's wife and then change your mind at the last minute. Yeah, that too, sure. Yeah, you burn the cross, you're mad at God because you created <laughs> a mechanic better than you. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to do a, a podcast about uh, Amadeus someday. I'm pretty sure it's not on your list. <laughs> <with> Wes.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe someday we can come up with an excuse to do that. We could, we might be able to squeeze that into Real Ripe and Real Rotten somehow. we'll, we'll if we do like the the movies of F. Murray Abraham or something. I don't know.
1: Man, I mean, it's such a the, one of the best movies I've ever seen about artists
0: oh, and their insecurity. It's so good. You know? Yeah. If if you are a creative person, yeah, at all, and have interacted with other creative people you identify way too much with that movie
1: (laughs) yeah it's the best movie i've ever seen about being a creator and that's why i think it applies to our podcast but yeah yeah we'll find a a better excuse to do it yes (laughs) (laughs) other than an f murray abraham marathon starting with uh, last action hero (laughs) yeah i mean
0: if we want to do last action hero amadeus and the first half of scarface i'm down for that he was in um star trek movie too oh yeah insurrection that's right yes (laughs) that's right
1: Way too good for that
0: movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we missed our opportunity because Wes and I already did that movie, but... Damn it! <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I think... Oh, uh, what do you want to rate this one? Oh, uh, ooh, I'm going to go three. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the That's same. I bad. I'm the same. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I was hoping for a four, but so I'm going to say it's like a high three, I think.
1: Yeah, I'll go with that.
0: Yeah. Because it does have a lot of great stuff in it. The music is great. Those those little moments are great. Um yeah. I actually thought the animation was pretty good too. I thought Batman looked really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the backgrounds looked amazing. Um Yeah, that's what's that's what makes it a three, is uh, I'm sort of taking it down a grade because of the lost potential. Yeah. You know, that's what annoys me. Is like that, that this could have been great and it's just not Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: So uh that's gonna do it for Bullet for Bullock, and we will take a quick break and we'll be back with the trial. All right, Trial, written by, story by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, teleplay by Paul Dini, directed by Dan Reba. And in this one, Gotham's new DA, Janet Van Dorn, is out to capture Batman, but both she and him end up captured by some of Batman's main enemies instead. They are soon put on a kangaroo trial by the Joker, the judge, Two-Face, the prosecutor, the ventriloquist, the bailiff, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, the Mad Hatter, Killer Croc, the Scarecrow, and the Riddler the jury in front of other criminals held at arkham if the defense batman and the da can prove that batman is not the cause of everyone's turn to crime they will be set free when the jury gives the verdict of not guilty the villains have little intention of following through on their deal um the notes for this one are the uh the the voice actor for scarecrow was recuperating from throat surgery during this episode so his character has no dialogue and Hmm. uh, uh this is the first instance of Harley Quinn being mentioned as uh, previously being a doctor before the Joker. I was going to ask determined. that. Yes.
1: Yeah, I had that specific question because when she mentioned that, I wasn't sure if this is the first time I've ever learned she used to be a doctor and and this sort of deeper past that she might have had, you know? Yeah,
0: I actually uh, for a second thought this might have been because it opens with... Uh, Harley welcoming Poison Ivy back to Arkham and I thought oh is this the first time that Harley and Ivy have interacted but I forgot about that episode where she's trying to leave the Joker and they hang out quite a bit in that episode but
1: yeah yeah they do Uh, yeah and it makes sense this is a Paul Dini episode because he created well he and Bruce Tim I guess created Harley and it's interesting that they would sort of start planting seeds to make her more legit by making her a doctor or whatever you know yeah
0: it's instantly uh interesting too like it's it's a it's a it's a perfect little bit to drop in there given the two characters involved and the setting that they're in to make you go yeah. oh wow she used to be a doctor that's actually pretty interesting
1: yeah yeah like I want to hear more about that and you definitely right. get around to it <laughs> the uh, The other little bit of trivia is the um,
0: actress who does the voice of Janet Van Dorn or Jan- Van Dorn is that what it is is mm-hmm. the yeah. daughter uh, is Stephanie Zimbalist the daughter of uh, the actor who does Alfred's voice
1: oh interesting cool So a family of actors.
0: Yes, a family of Batman
1: actors. A voice actor, yeah. (laughs) Oh, she's the the
0: girl from... um, She's the female lead in Remington Steel. Not that anybody, like maybe 30% (laughs) of the people listening to this know what that is, but (laughs) it's the show show that initially stopped Pierce Brosnan from being James Bond.
1: Yeah, I thought it helped him get that role because he's so obviously clear for it. Well,
0: no, what happened was he actually got the job. He was supposed to be... um, uh oh. Bond when Timothy Dalton was Bond. But oh. the producers of Remington Steel wouldn't let him do it. Like they, they uh he oh, had Jesus. he yeah. had been cast as Bond. They were about to bring him down to do a press conference to announce it and yeah. the producers re upped Remington Steel for another season so he couldn't do it.
1: Those motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say uh Timothy Dalton is my favorite Bond. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he doesn't get he yeah. doesn't get I like enough, the, uh, uh, enough press. The angry Cold War Bond. I think he's really good yeah. and uh, yeah, I agree he doesn't get enough love. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um but yeah. Uh, anyway, do you uh do you, I I guess <clears throat> I'll just hand it over to you so, so let you me... can make your case for the yeah. uh, pla- Give plagiarism the defense, <laughs> <laughs> Give it over to the defense
1: Give it over to the defense. So, I uh, watched this episode uh, like a year ago. And I had it on in the background while I was working, like I tend to do. And uh, I definitely stopped what I was doing and started watching a whole bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned by how much I had lifted from this. And um, it wasn't uh, on purpose. I think, so for example, the one that first got me was when they used the word super criminal, (laughs) which is exactly the word that I call them in White Knight. And I remember when I was trying to come up with a word for villains, I didn't want to call them villains and criminals. And I thought, well, what would police call them? And I came up with super criminals. And I was going to use either super criminal or hyper criminal. Um, but I must have totally forgot that I had watched this as a kid. And it just laid in my subconscious. And, you know, I can't be the first person to use the word super criminal in a Batman comic, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, when I found that, I was stunned and embarrassed. And I was like, oh, my God. So I started paying attention to the episode more and more. And like there was just more stuff that I had obviously that had obviously influenced me. Um, the idea of uh, at the very beginning, um, Poison Ivy is arrested, but because she's arrested by Batman, who's not you know an officer of the law, mm-hmm. she's sent to Arkham instead of Stonegate. And I'm not really sure of the logic of that, but the idea that Batman is not a cop, so we can't just treat you like we normally can. Right. So you, it shows like the legal implica- implications of being arrested by a bounty hunter, basically. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. or a vigilante. Um, Yeah, and uh, just the idea of the Batman creating the criminals or vice versa. I mean, again, that's not the first time. I'm not the first guy to ever write about that, obviously. Um, But this episode really focused in with razor clarity, sort of like the beginning of probably what got me thinking about Batman White Knight. Because I would have seen this when I was 12 or 13. And I always remember this episode standing out. And I thought, man, that was such a great episode. And it had like no action in it. Yeah. Um to do a kids cartoon that's basically a law and order trial like who the hell would think that would be good but it was
0: Yeah they so, yeah. <laughs> they really uh, um they they really pump it up and make it attractive for the audience by having every single batman villain except essentially the penguin in it Yeah So you know you got plenty yeah, of stuff true. to look at but at the at the heart of it is is a um you know it's interesting because I I think um The difference between this and White Knight, obviously, is that the part that you seem to really subconsciously or otherwise uh, hook into is the beginning piece where Batman is being sort of uh, or where Janet Van Dorn is is kind of railing against Batman and all of the damage that he does to the city. That, yeah. Because the actual meat of the, the, the show is not about that. It's about whether or not batman is the cause of the villains it has nothing to do with whether or not batman's the stuff that he's doing is obviously it's not legal but is it even in the realm of appropriateness you, you know
1: yeah that's a better way of saying it so i think if there are if this was if this episode got me thinking about white knight as a 12 year old it wasn't from the trial as much as it was from the opinion of the d.a because the stuff she says is like, I want to work for a city that doesn't need Batman. You know, it, this is corrupt. Like, how could you fix corruption with more corruption? Mm-hmm. And like, a lot of her opinions are basically became, it seemingly became the Bible for what I was getting at. Right, right. <laughs> in uh, Batman White Knight. So, yeah, I make no, I'm not trying to hide it. Like, I, I at the time, I did not think think that i had lifted the idea from anybody specifically but as i rewatched this episode i suddenly felt very caught you know (laughs) yeah yeah,
0: i wouldn't give yourself don't be it's you're not ripping it off i mean obviously it's an inspiration people have been people have gotten away with a lot more blatant (laughs) uh (laughs) referencing let's put it that way than than this
1: that's true yeah like the uh, creation of deadpool (laughs) yes yeah that's a really good one (laughs) a side note deadpool was um was sort of a ripoff of uh, Deathstroke, mm-hmm. and uh, his name is even Wade Wilson instead of Slade Wilson. Yeah, and the idea of being a mercenary with a mouth—I mean, it's all there. Yep. even the way that they look—it's like yeah, crystal clear. Yeah, like that is. Get mad at him. Don't get him mad at me for stealing from Trial. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's hang somebody else. <laughs> this is how witch hunts work, man. You got to find somebody better.
0: Yep, just deflect and and focus in. <laughs> um, yeah, you know this this one is 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 just so. I really, really like this episode a lot. They come so close, so close to firelit Batman in this episode. So, no, I
1: had that as a note. Firelit villains, though, yeah, you must love that. Clay. That
0: was still pretty good, but I mean, he was right there. <laughs> he didn't even get like a like a half a frame or a frame or something. It's he's right. He's no. in the room, and they couldn't do so, it.
1: There's a fight scene at the end. The power goes out because the DA uses a batarang to hit a light bulb. Mm -hmm. So you have Two-Face holding a a lighter. So everyone is just lit by... It's very crime noir. And the only time that anyone's not lit by orange is when Croc blocks the door. Mm -hmm. And then Batman knocks him over. And again, they could have had him fire lit and they didn't. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. They were actively doing this to hurt me, I think. (laughs) Definitely.
1: 25 years in the past. Uh, I really loved the Joker in this. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. I like the uh, Tory wig, like the British judge, judicial wig that mm-hmm. he was wearing or whatever. I thought uh, the part where he's in Harley's lap and she's sort of serenading him and the DA objects because she's obviously trying to influence the witness. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or when someone, uh, when Matt Hatter asks for his comments to be stricken from the record and Joker's like, someone's supposed to be writing this down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing that's hard to swallow in this episode is... Would they even have a kangaroo trial like this is insane, but the way the episode gets over that is it acknowledges that it's stupid and crazy and Batman's response is, I know, but just just play along. this is how these people are right, right yeah, yeah that, it, they
0: uh, I mean it's I, I I would like to say to think that Batman villains are crazy enough that they wouldn't realize it makes more sense mm. to just kill him. Yeah, you know, because it's 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 this weird sort of like uh, justification for their own existence to actually put him on trial. It's it's like no, it yeah. it's the right thing to do in this situation to at least give him a trial. Uh, yeah. When
1: obviously they're I mean, completely nuts. But the, the thing is, though, do they really think that he created them, or are they just looking for an excuse to blame somebody else for their problems? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: the fact that they. They're going to kill him either way. At the end, is pretty clear. But uh, I think it's—I <laughs> think they were not expecting uh, uh, Janet Van Dorn to make such a compelling case.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that I love is she actually wins the trial. Yes. Even Joker and, and even she and Batman are stunned. And then Joker's like, "Well, it doesn't matter. We're going to kill you anyway. But right. first, we need to know who you are." Um. And that was the one critique I had for most of the episode was why don't they just take his mask off? But they do address it at the very end because it is a really great moment at the end when they're about to take his mask off, and then the lawyer uses this batarang that she's been, you know, and the symbolism there is pretty clear. Just like I was talking about in the Bullock mm-hmm. episode, where she finally comes over to Batman's side in a way by utilizing his uh, batarang. Right, right, yeah.
0: Because I actually, what I, what I do like uh, that they do is they take the, uh, um, the anti-Batman lawyer and force her to come up with a defense in support of Batman. Yeah. So it, it makes her kind of rethink him a little bit, um, which is, which is a lot of fun. I do wonder, yeah. however, uh, what do you think Batman's plan was? Had she not been there? <laughs> I think he was fucked. Yeah. He doesn't seem to, <laughs> he doesn't seem to, uh, really be doing anything except letting it all happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if they had a panel of him loosening the ropes, you know, and she knew he was about to strike, but she was able to give him more of a diversion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or I, I mean, yeah. realistically, it's probably like they have a they have a, a conversation afterwards, and bat and Batman's like, I mean, I got out, of, I was free of that straitjacket the minute they sat me down in court. I just wanted to see what was going to happen.
1: Yeah, like you know, it's it's. I to see. It seems like yeah. a
0: situation where uh, realistically. He 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 has something up his sleeve just in case but he's just letting it play True. out.
1: Yeah. I do like that not I mean, there's a woman who saves him which you you get brownie points for that cuz I'm always trying to be a good progressive. Uh, and I like how she wasn't wanting to defend him at all which right. lawyers are running into that all the time. I mean everybody remembers uh <laughs> the devil's advocate. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: Just, uh, just yeah, watch just that part recently. of being a lawyer. Just watched that again recently. That movie's great. Oh, yeah? Does it, does it hold up? I think so. That's also another one that's real long. It's like, I think <sighs> it's might be over two hours. It's a long movie.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing that in high school with this girl I was dating, and uh, she liked it too much. It <laughs> kind of bothered me. <laughs> it, it's, she was kind of messed up.
0: It's another movie that's unfortunately hampered by Keanu Reeves doing an accent he can't quite get the hang of, unfortunately.
1: What accent does he have? He's
0: from, like, Georgia in that movie so he's doing oh a, my god i forgot about yeah, that. yeah he's doing a southern accent that's never quite <laughs> never quite totally convincing
1: you know keanu reeves's gift is in acting it's he's easy to look at camera loves him and no one ever can get mad at him because he's keanu reeves yeah pretty much yeah and he picks amazing outside of uh, a walk in the clouds or whatever he generally picks amazing projects <laughs> yeah for the most part he does pretty good yeah it,
0: they seem to always at least be interesting if not good you know what i yeah. mean
1: you set him up with people that are really good killer actors, and then Keanu can just be Keanu, and he must know this. Like when they designed John Wick, hey ring ring, hey Keanu he's like, hey bro, what's up? Oh, we got this idea. It's called John Wick. Keanu, are you there? Oh yeah, sorry, I <laughs> fell asleep. What do we say? And <laughs> we got this idea, John Wick, for you don't, you can, you have thirteen lines to remember. You have to learn how to shoot guns and fight and stay fit, which we know you had. Oh, you like motorcycles, right? Right, great. We'll get these great actors to act off of you. You can just kind of, you know, blank, you don't, and breathe, and be good. You don't even have to be
0: convincing because we're going to kill your dog, and that's going to do all the work for you.
1: That's right. If anyone's fine by letting the dog steal the scene, it's Keanu Reeves. Sure,
0: yeah. You don't. He doesn't even have to be convincing because as soon as you kill that dog, everybody who's watching goes, all of these people need to be killed instantly.
1: It doesn't matter if it's overkill. It, these people all have it coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I love the third one. How the the dogs always seem to make an appearance in every movie. and mm-hmm. The third one had the dog like parkouring off. Oh the walls, yeah. Oh, I love this. It third was amazing. One. I didn't. Uh, yeah.
0: I didn't particularly care for the second one too much, but uh, yeah. the third one I thought was a really nice return to form because it was. Yeah. Every every <laughs> one of those action scenes was just memorable and unique. It was a lot of fun.
1: I I do wish they would use less CGI on things like the knife scene. Like I think it would get even more street cred if they actually did these, well, they shot at old school.
0: That's, that's the thing. Well, thank you for joining us for the John Wick podcast that we're doing. Now. <laughs> Sorry. The thing, the thing that bugs me about the second one <coughs> is they, they got too much into the weeds of this like hand to hand up close CGI gun fighting. So it just mm-hmm. feels all the same of like very weightless, my problem with John Wick yeah. movies is the, the gun firing is so weightless because it's yeah. all clearly CGI. So yeah. there's there's really... It doesn't feel like there's a lot behind it. So when he gets into the more physical hand-to-hand stuff or they do something a little bit more inventive, that's where it really starts to stand out, I think. Yep.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I can't believe John Wick came up talking about this episode. <laughs> 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 I'm truly surprised. Um, what else do I have for notes here? Um... And then Yeah, I think that was about it for me. I I I
0: noticed that Croc really takes a beating in this episode. He gets <laughs> yeah. he gets beat up, then he gets
1: blown up, and then he gets electrocuted. <laughs> you know, this design for him is so much better than the season four design mm. when they make him green. Yeah. The fact that he literally can't close his mouth makes him a mouth breather. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know? a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and even when they animate him dragging Batman, he walks with his feet pointing sideways like he's gorilla. Mm-hmm. Wait, like they did—they made some really good choices with him, and uh, I really just don't like the green version from season four. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a change that that was unnecessary. Yeah. The um, <laughs> the one beat about this episode that I really like that I think. So when we started this show, one of the things that we were kind of looking at it from was this angle of everyone seems to cite this not only as a great Batman cartoon, but Mm -hmm. the best version of Batman out there. And I've always been interested in that. And why is that? And I think this episode makes a really great case for why that is by the last line of the episode, which is. Janet Van Doren talking to Batman and she says I'm going to continue working towards a city that doesn't need Batman and then Batman responds mm-hmm. with me too <clears throat> I think that that's like the perfect encapsulation of, of what Batman is and what yeah. Batman should be like he's not, right. he's not doing this because he likes it he's not doing right. this uh, for revenge he's doing this because the city needs him to do it and his goal
1: mm-hmm. is to not have to do it anymore So that's kind of the thing that I've been playing with with White Knight is um, in every single volume so far, Batman has been ready to retire in one way or another. And there keeps to be there seems to be new reasons for him not to do it just yet, Mm -hmm. even though with the ending of issue two, like spoilers, uh, everyone knows that he's Bruce Wayne, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's not actually even a Wayne. So it kind of complicates things. So I just always felt like it's really interesting. Like I can get down with a version of Batman that is addicted to fighting crime and can't seem to give it up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he knows that it's not healthy and he wants to quit, but he kind of doesn't want to quit at the same time because he's been doing it for so long. Like, how do you stop? How do you just, you know, stop taking the drugs, so to speak? So even for Volume 3, I'm looking forward to finding ways for him to, like, begrudgingly become Batman again and still be the awesome version of Batman that we all know and love. And then I don't even know how it's going to end, honestly. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) I actually, uh, I've I've had some thoughts about that. Maybe we should talk about that off the air. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I the th- one of the things that I don't like, I, I've been reading a lot of Batman comics lately, um, mostly from, hmm. uh, I would say, the '90s through the early 2000s, because I've been reading the following the story of of Stephanie Brown, um, and the thing that I really don't like is how around maybe the mid-90s, late 90s maybe, Batman Mm -hmm. gets really angry and really dark in a way that I don't entirely love. Because what I love about this show is they present Batman as both Batman and Bruce Wayne. So Bruce Mm -hmm. Wayne is a very different character than Batman. And even in this show, when they revamp everything, the modern, or, or the 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 version of Batman that Kevin Conroy has been playing for the past like fifteen years, or or even longer than that at this point, is Bruce Wayne and Batman are essentially the same character. He doesn't change his voice anymore. He just does. It's just the one Batman voice. Yeah, and I've always, I I think that when you lose the light side of Batman, he just becomes more and more indefensible.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Or if you don't make Bruce Wayne light, you have to break the tension with a character around him. Um like when I write Batman joking around, he's always the straight man. Mm-hmm. He has a straight man reaction and Harley Quinn's reaction to him is funny. Right. So Batman plays a a, a, a he plays a part of the joke, but it's like why Tommy Lee Jones is, is funny in Men in Black. Right. He's not actually making any jokes. He's just reflecting off of Will Smith, who's amazing at it. You know, right, And right. that's how I think Batman can sort of joke around. Like The one point in uh, the previous episode where Bullock is going to push this button and Batman tells him not to in the Batmobile because it's the uh, passenger ejector seat. Yes. <laughs> you do see Batman smirk in the background. And as charming as that is, like I don't know if I would have written it that way. I would have had him make the joke, but then... Be totally straight faced. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's interesting because I I I feel like I appreciate that that element of of lightness in in Batman where he's not doesn't necessarily always have to be the straight man. Yeah, because I think what they what the thing that I don't like that I feel like he's kind of drifted towards at least in the stuff I've been reading is this he's he's the head the the patriarch of this Bat family. But he's he's so dark that everybody else mm-hmm. only reacts to him and interacts with him by being angry at him or like yelling at him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's right. It's it is kind of a cliche. Yeah, it's like and even um, the whole Stephanie Brown story, he very abruptly like fires her and tells her that she's not cut out to do this. And the whole time that she is Robin, he's being very hard on her and essentially telling her that she sucks at it. And mm-hmm. they're trying to make it come off as like a tough love drill sergeant-y kind of thing. But it just really, it's it's just him being an asshole.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah, kind of where sure. I
0: draw the line with my Batman, I think, where I, I don't mind him being strict and tough and, and having an edge. But when mm-hmm. he falls into just being like an unrepentant asshole and people being like, well, that's just how Bruce is now. That's why I don't really care for that that much.
1: Yeah, you know, I, that's some criticism that I've gotten to is I write a very gruff, you know, man of few words mm-hmm. type of uh, Batman. Um, but and I, even though he's like that with Nightwing and Gordon and Batgirl to some degree, I do try to find the moments where he loosens up. Sure. And I have him, like Harley Quinn is his best friend in the second volume and she's, she's having normal, she's not yelling at him or doing, you're right, mostly when people interact with Batman, they're yelling at him or cautioning him or rolling their eyes or whatever. Harley is the only one in my book who, Really reaches out to him as a friend, and he responds positively. Right, you know? right, yeah. So yeah, it's a fine line. Like you don't want to do too much of angry Batman because he just turns into an asshole. But if you have him act like an asshole, uh, but leave a flower for another character to show his humanity, or put his hand on. the uh, Remember the episode with the baby doll and she's trying to shoot him and he, she runs out of bullets and he like puts his hand on top of her head sure, at the very end. Sure, Yeah. Like that shows his humanity exactly. and he cares. And that's that those moments are so important to making it work. Yeah, exactly. I agree 100%.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a fine it's a fine line with him. Uh, because he it is very easy to to drift him down into yeah. uh into shadow hawk territory
1: not to bring that up again but yeah. oh good finally i can talk about Shadowhawk hawk again yeah
0: um yeah uh what would you what would you uh go ahead uh, what would you draw well i ask you first um i think i think i would just i would the you talked about it a little <laughs> bit earlier but the the joker is just the background stuff in this episode specifically with the joker is so much mm-hmm. fun that yeah. Drawing the Joker in all those different costumes, like the the judge costume and then like the I, the Irish priest costume <laughs> <laughs> is a lot yeah. of fun. I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of room in an episode like this where it's a lot of uh, talking yeah. that you could have, have a, a really fun time with your background details and, and do some yeah. kind of fun gags and stuff.
1: I w- yeah, I would love to do the mondo poster for this episode. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Mondo's this company that does like very limited edition high end very designy type prints that they sell like very intermittently and then they disappear forever um, they generally go with very clean uh design that you can see from fifty feet away, so like highly detailed art like mine isn't necessarily uh that their their thing mm-hmm. um. But, yeah, if they said, hey, we want you to do, like, you could see the poster for this, like, giant Joker head with the wig, gavel. You'd have, like, a taupey, like, design where at the bottom you have all these tinier villains that are lined up next to the trial. He's holding the gavel. And then in the middle is Batman, a blind justice statue somewhere in there. Like, the the, the poster designed itself. (laughs) Yeah, hey. I, I I guarantee you, if you called them and said you'd like to do that, they'd probably tell you go for it. Uh, maybe we'll see. <laughs> they don't pay very much, actually. So I've, I've tried to talk with them a few times, and uh, they pay you by gifting you a limited edition amount of the prints that you can then sell. Yeah. So they sort of pay you by having other people pay right. you. Right.
0: Yeah. No, that stuff is a slippery slope. I when I I did yeah. uh, I spent a couple
1: years early on
0: doing um, sketch cards for uh, like oh, tops yeah. and stuff and it's the same thing where it's you, they pay you a, a buck 50 a card and they expect a good drawing on these cards and then that you can do no fewer than like 100 so yeah. you're you're spending hours and hours and hours doing 200 cards at a dollar 50 a pop and yeah. the the upside is that you get <laughs> returns that you can then sell which is great unless you can't sell them right and so when i started the first series I did, I was working on Lord of the Rings and it was great. The cards I got back, I made like $1,000 off them. It was awesome. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but then ever se- I did um I did a couple more and then that 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 did okay. And then I did uh Indiana Jones and then Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. And mm-hmm. I couldn't give the Crystal Skull cards away. You know, because the movie why. came out and, and everyone hated it. So I couldn't give those away. <laughs> yeah. And it was the kind of, the same yeah. thing where it just kind of devolved into I was doing yeah. cards. I was doing Star Wars cards and Star Wars should be an easy sell. And yeah. I had these great cards that I, I was trying to move and nobody wanted them. It was just,
1: yeah. it's, it's you, know, <laughs> you know. Side note, uh, I've had the hardest time selling anything Star Wars that I ever draw. Really? I don't know what it is about that, that uh, IP, but. My people are definitely into Batman, Mad Max, and uh, some horror stuff. My people are not into Star Wars art. Or at least the ones that like it can't afford to buy it from me. (laughs) You know,
0: that's really interesting because I I have a friend who does... He made like a good handful of years of his career just doing Star Wars art that he...
1: They're beautiful because you have some in your apartment, right? Yeah, they're
0: gorgeous paintings. Um, He's doing a pinup for me in Bloody Hell, too, which I'm excited about. Oh, nice. Um, And... If you can, if you can get in to the crowd of Star Wars collectors, those people have money and they will buy that stuff. But I, mm. I guess it's just a matter of directing your stuff towards them because, yeah. you know he he goes he goes to the Star Wars celebration conventions with a limited mm. edition print and just selling them at like a hundred dollars a piece
1: and he sells out yeah. like, on oh, by like the second day
0: stuff like that yeah. you know
1: yeah you know the reason that business model offends me. There's nothing illegal about that. Um, As a freelancer, you Clay are totally allowed to do these posters for Mondo or do these cards for whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to, like, no one's putting a gun to your head. No one says you have to do them. And this company is being upfront about what the deal is. And where it gets me is they're preying off of artists' ignorance and their insecurity, Mm -hmm. Um, the desire to try to be a professional any way you can. If you're not getting published in Spider-Man, bam, draw some Spider-Man cards. Technically, you're now like kind of a professional Spider-Man sure, artist. Sure. But they're not paying you. Like they're not assuming any of the risk. The risk is all on you. The time that you've lost, the you know loss of opportunity that you could have been doing something else, making money. That's what's so offensive to me. And what makes it worse for me is um, a company like Mondo seems to be pretty well funded. They have, I mean, they were going to put on a comic book convention at one point, and you need to have, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars or crazy investors to pull that off. Um, so with all that capital going around, if they have an office with 20 people in it, then I feel like they should have the funds set up to pay these artists what they're worth mm. and not expect them to work for free. Um but in their response to this because I have talked with them and I'm really not trying to throw them under the bus but this is
0: too just, late the back ar- wheels my concern the here. back wheels <laughs>
1: just went over their chest <laughs> <laughs> it was a speed bus so it jumped right over yeah with yeah. that <laughs> um, but uh, yeah like their their mentality is well we worked hard to build our company we have made Mondo a valuable brand if like the value of working for Bro- Mondo is you get a Mondo sticker you get a Mondo label on your product and, like, they, they've they struggled, sweated, and gone through lawsuits to become the company that they are. Mm-hmm. Why should they? Like, I get what their argument is, but I still feel like I prefer the traditional system where if you've got money, you should just pay the artists and not expect them to take the risks because it just, it does seem dishonest. Sure. And the, a lot of my friends who are really high-end artists do this stuff willingly. And even when they come out with, like, a unique sketchbook or art book and it's, like, 100 bucks to buy and they're really sought after items even then they don't upfront them any money which to me it's like i have no interest in doing that honestly you know good i'm happy that both parties are happy if artists are upset and i don't really hear about it most people love mondo and that's great but for me i've always kind of had a i don't know i've always kind of kept an eye on them (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i when i the thing that that burned me when i was doing the sketch cards is it is it at least for the uh the big name ones it very much felt like it was a uh well you're working on star wars so Mm -hmm. that should be enough you know what i mean yeah because they're they're, it's it's that thing where it's like well you're working on a big name property you would think you'd be getting a couple extra dollars than you would somewhere else but it's the the argument the argument is well you're working on a star wars thing that should be enough and also that should it, and that should tell you that you're probably going to be able to make some money on the back end. And yeah, it's like uh, uh, you know that doesn't the, the promise of possibly selling something down the road doesn't pay my bills this month, you know,
1: <laughs> right? Like the value of Batman to me is I get to draw pages with Batman on him mm-hmm. and, and elevate my career and sell that art for a higher product for a higher, um For a lot of money if DC was gonna act like Mondo, they'd say well, why don't you just draw it for free? Or we'll only give you a little bit, and then you're welcome. You get to sell these Batman pages, and we won't sue you. Right? Bam. Right. Because we have the Batman license. I would never work for DC if they did that. Right. That sucks, and that's basically what Mondo is doing. But they're doing it in short term with short term contracts, intermittently with people. So, you know, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem to bother anybody except for me. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> you know, I I don't want to throw sketch SketchGuard people under the bus because there are plenty of people who do that. And make a good living off of it because they have yeah. managed to cultivate their own brand um, right. as oh this person's doing sketch cards for this set I have to get those right. and I'm gonna want to buy those because I love that person's art that's that's right. great if you can do that and it works for you that's that's fine but just right. as a on principle it does seem a little bit like it's not the it's not the most yeah. and the best way anybody to do who.
1: Even, and I understand the artists have made money and have these um, blank card companies to thank for it, but if you were asking any of those artists, wouldn't you rather be paid by Fleer or like a legit, or Tops or whoever, I don't know who makes baseball cards anymore. Yeah. And you got paid like 300 bucks a day for this and then you also could recoup, like wouldn't you prefer to work uh, with a more traditional company like that? Dude, of course they'd say
0: yes. That's that's who I was working with. That's who does the the Lord, oh. <laughs> Lord, of, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars was all T.O.P.S. Yeah. So T.O.P.S. is, wow. is that's what that's what the, the model is.
1: Oh, OK, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Sorry, T.O.P.S. Unfortunately, I mean,
0: like I said, I, I, I don't want to begrudge anybody who is is happy doing that. But that model yeah. is not for me.
1: So, again, I had a friend who worked in San Diego as an artist, and he worked in an office at Tops or Fleer. I'm going to just assume it was Fleer. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who's out of San Diego, or if I even have the city right. But he would get paid, like a traditional freelancer would get paid. You know, every time he put pen to paper, he would get paid by the hour, paid by the illustration, or whatever it was. Um, so I just assumed that um, card companies operated that way. I didn't know that this was Tops who was doing it. Yeah, well,
0: the, what they do for these sets is they do, um, they will... <clears throat> um, commission paid work to the, mm. the the artists who are doing like the the base card set, so the stuff that's being replicated and stuff. So like the, the 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 just the general cards that you would get as part of the set on the checklist, you know. Right. And so they're they're getting paid as any illustrator would to do a piece. Um, okay. The sketch cards <clears throat> are essentially they throw out a wide net to artists a lot of times they'll have like a couple one or two big name artists who I'm sure they're paying more money to um, yeah, to to do a handful of cards so these are all like subset special cards that you get like yeah. one yeah. one every 10 cards there's a there's a sketch card or something yeah and so but in order to fill this out they need thousands of cards so they right. they've got artists doing between minimums I think of either 50 or 100 in a fairly depending on the the project, it can be a fairly short turnaround time um right. but it's the kind of thing where you you kind of have to do the math the personal math as to how much how much tie ty- of your time is a mm-hmm. dollar fifty per card plus the potential to maybe sell it on the on the back end to make more money yeah. really worth you know
1: right you gotta do a pretty clear sharp um Benefit loss right. analysis and there, or whatever. There and are a lot artists of artists aren't good at that stuff. They're not aware. like it feels good to be drawn on cards, drawing pictures of Spider-Man and get, be getting paid. But at the end of the day, you look at your paycheck, and some of the spider mans didn't sell, and you got to ask like, are you really professional? Like this mm. is this seems like the bottom rung for a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: know? and you know there are a lot of people who do really amazing. I've seen people do amazing work on these cards, and they have yeah. managed to elevate themselves into kind of like their own brand where th- their right. stuff is in demand but that's not not everybody's going to be able to do that you know and right. i yeah. and or or want to really do that like when i was doing them that wasn't really what i was getting out of this i it, it yeah. and it came down to yeah it was a it was a, a cost benefit analysis thing for me where it's like well right i don't love doing this Um, I'd like to do them as quickly as possible and they're not (laughs) selling even when I do put my, all of my effort into it. So not for me,
1: I guess. The, uh, the closest I've come to something like this was actually working with DC, um, who, uh, I find has been, they've been really great to me over the years and I really have very little uh, criticism of, of, of them and not just because I don't want to rock the boat, but for real, like, (laughs) um, they've always been really good with this stuff. Um, although when I did do sketches for a Batman black and white statue, uh the pay is not a, not what you think at all. Mm-hmm. Um I mean if they were Mondo they would say, just draw it for free. We'll make statues, we'll ship you six, and then you can sell those and make your money back. Sure. Um they do pay. They they only pay about fifty percent of what my normal page rate is, unfortunately, and I feel like they're gonna make thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars off of these statues. Like I think they can afford to at least pay my normal page rate. Right. But they don't. And it's a different department and you know, my editor doesn't have any say over it. It's actually through DC Direct or whatever they're called now. Um, you know, and part of the deal is like, listen, kid, you know, people would give their left arm to have a Batman black and white statue. Mm-hmm. You're lucky you're doing one, you're getting paid to do it, you get to sell the original art after, you'll get to sell the statues, like maybe don't complain so much. Right. And they're right. <laughs> so uh, that was the closest I've come to a deal. I'm like, all right, where I'm like, All right, I don't love this, but I get it. And I'll, I'll, I accept that most of the money I'm going to be making from this endeavor is going to come from the original art and from the uh, the statues that I can remark and sell myself. Right. And You know, we don't have to but, keep yeah. getting into this stuff if you don't want to. But uh, you no, you're uh, well, I did have one more comment to make about being paid as freelance oh, sure. artists because you're um, or I should say um, concept artists do not get paid as much as i thought they did really oh i thought they got paid pretty Uh, good i got offered to work on a large spider-man movie um in the next few years and i was surprised by how little they paid considering how valuable the previous movie was Mm -hmm. um and i wrote to my friend who does a lot of stuff for star wars and he said the same thing he goes you know you're doing it he did it because it was Star Wars. Yeah, they pay, but it's not as great as you think. Like he would make more money working on comics, which he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really enjoys the Star Wars stuff, and he loves the prestige of it. So good for him. Um, but I was surprised because you know I remember reading books about Bob Peak and these illustrators from the sixties and seventies. I thought I heard once that Sid Mead, who designed a lot of the uh, Blade Runner stuff, used to get paid five thousand dollars a day. For whatever he drew. yeah. That was back in the early 80s. And I'm not saying that I deserve that much now, but um, it seemed like people were happy to spend whatever it cost. The thing with being paid five grand a day is, sure, Sidney makes a lot that month, but then he doesn't have any money being made for the next 30 days because how many Blade Runners are they going to make that year? Sure, sure. So you do, you know, score for a short period and then starve for a while. And at the end, you know... But there are photos of these illustrators leaning against Ferraris, which is why it stood out to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm like, it, man, I wish I got paid like that. But sadly, Star Wars, even the hottest properties that are out there right now, are kind of dicking over concept artists yeah. because there's so many people that are willing to do it for free, you know? And I get it. Like, as a capitalist, I get it. But as an artist, I think it bugs me.
0: I, I, not being someone who's in, the, in that business, I don't know this for sure. But I do think there's also yeah. just... The number of people that they need on these movies now is so huge, and also the yeah. number of people out there who are doing this stuff is so huge that the it's kind yeah. of it's kind of driven the driven the value not value but the the yeah. it's it's not um, when Sid Mead yeah. was doing this stuff you went to Sid <laughs> Mead because you wanted Sid <laughs> Mead designs you know what I mean yeah. Like yeah. that's you go to Bob Peak because you want a Bob Peak poster. You go to Drew yeah. Struzan because you want a Drew Struzan poster. Right. That's that's why yeah. these guys are pulling in the money because that their thing is what's selling right. the, the product.
1: Um, yeah, and a lot of the Batman black and white statues, people will buy even if they haven't heard of the artist. So it is kind of mixed whether mm. or not are you buying it because it's a Mike Mignola statue or because it, it looks cool. Right, and both in that case because that is a great statue.
0: Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you. <clears throat> uh, maybe this could be the last thing we talk about on this just because we've been uh, yeah, talking sorry, about it for a while. <laughs> um, did you, were you consulted at all over the, uh, uh, action figures, the white knight action figures that are coming out from McFarlane?
1: No, Todd reached out, um, asking me, he's been always, he's, he and I are kind of buddies. I've never met him, but we'll talk online time to time mm-hmm. and on the phone. And, uh, I have a ton of respect for, for him and, um, uh, I'd love to do a Spawn short miniseries one day just as a bucket list type of thing. But um, yeah, he's always open for me to come and do some work on Spawn. And uh, when, then he told me uh, that he was going to be working with DC Comics. So I kind of knew about that before it got announced. And he was saying that he wanted to do a line specifically of White Knight action figures, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember buying my first action figures from Todd. It was like, what was it? Uh, uh, Wetworks? Remember sure. that yes. book Wetworks. Yes, yeah. yeah. That character, Grail, he had this amazing mask before they ruined him and made him all blue. But uh, I love that fucking character. And that was the first toy I bought from Todd's, from Todd Toys. So, uh, yeah, I was super excited when this came up. But um, I didn't um, tell Todd, hey, can I see them? Can I make notes? I just, it's his deal. He's doing me a favor by making action figures. Like, I'm just happy to get some for free, honestly. Sure, sure. Um, So he didn't consult me or anything like that. Um, Not that he even has to, honestly. Um, he did show me some of the stuff as it was moving along, but he didn't ask my opinion, nor did I give it. Um, and I think they look really great. I was mm. impressed by how, especially the Joker figure, how great it looks where you can take, you can sort of change this flesh by, ask, by adding like a Joker mask over the Jack Navier mask. Oh, sure. Um, I think it's a separate head. It is a, no, it's just a face mask. Oh, it is? Oh, wait. I actually just gave some to my assistant because they, they finally got a ro- uh, delivered and uh, I was checking them out, but I didn't open the Joker one. Shit. <laughs> 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 All right. Maybe it's a whole separate head. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think they look great. Um, the one thing that I would have caught if they had ca- talked to me was um, they. Azrael looks great. I love the sword, the fire on it, and they got the details of his outfit perfectly but they did give him booties. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. So he's wearing like elf boots, the kind that kind of roll over around the ankle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. Yes. Um, but I don't care. I mean, the whole thing looks amazing. And what are you going to do? Complain when Todd makes the thing of your, your, your drawing. Right. So I'm happy. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, they look, they look really cool. I'm i
1: uh, I'm looking forward to the, I I have the Batman and Azrael on order. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Um, um, I'm actually, I got contacted by a company in Singapore to do another statue last week. And, uh, I almost didn't respond at first because I w- thought it was going to be another like thing where they're not going to pay me anything and I just get the prestige of having another statue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but I started to look through their website and they had do like really high-end stuff. Yeah, the cheapest yeah. thing you can buy is like 500 bucks, the most expensive is 5000. Um and uh I we were talking with the guy and he's been really nice and it's clear that he wanted to hire me because I'm me and he wanted to 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 get my take on it. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about So I was like, all right, well, I really want to do Batman Motorcycle Statue, but I don't know when DC Direct is going to get around to it, Um, and I know these things usually take like a year and a half, at least, to plan. So he spoke with his team, and they're like, well, this isn't what we were thinking, but yeah, why don't we do a Batman, uh, your Batman on the motorcycle type thing? Oh, nice. I pushed the idea to him. It's like, well, can we put Harley Quinn on the back? And he goes, well, if we did, it would make it more of a collage, and we'd have to charge more, and I don't know if our customers would, so let's just start with the Batman, and we talked about the uh, scene from Akira where he does that turn on the bike sure. so I'm thinking about doing that with Batman so the cape is kind of going sideways or whatever so you see more of him nice but uh, it's been really great and uh, they were asking me about price and I was ready for them to say you know well, oh, we can only pay you a dollar or whatever but you get these <laughs> great statues and uh, they agreed to match my page rate wow. so I was happy with that <laughs> and um, I agreed to give them an extra two days of my time in case they needed you know Uh, anything else like free quick sketches turnarounds or like more details and I even asked them if there was a way to get fingerprints onto the statues oh cool yeah because I I use a lot of fingerprint rendering on my characters faces and backgrounds sometimes and I always thought it would be cool if they could like paint that onto Batman's face Mm. or maybe sculpt a relief a bit of it in there Um, and uh, this company is interested in trying to do that so we'll see how it goes that's cool I'd like to see
0: how that turns out
1: yeah, sorry, I know this is getting uh to be a very long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh yeah, no, I'm looking forward to see
0: that. That sounds pretty good. Um Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks, man. But yeah, to wrap it up here, um Yep. Did uh I'm gonna go four. I'm gonna go four on this. Did one. you say what you wanted to draw? I can't remember. That was like an hour ago.
1: Uh I didn't. Um I oh no, I would draw the Mondo poster. Of this oh that's episode. right, that's right, yes. Yep.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm on the I'm on the fence between four and five, honestly. Do I yeah. I I think I'm probably going to go four because I don't I don't know maybe maybe the 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 chasing the dragon of the animated series five is just an unattainable <laughs> thing after there's like two of them I think so far yeah um, it
1: has to be as good as uh, Deep Freeze or whatever yeah you know? yeah
0: um, is this that Hard good advice, Hard sorry. advice, yeah is this that good no but I think it's comes pretty close I think. Yeah, um,
1: it's a high four. Yeah. I mean, it, it. Heart of Ice has the heart to it. And this episode isn't designed to have that same kind of appeal. So this episode is pretty perfect, but even though it's firing on all cylinders, I just don't think it can be a five because it's basically a courtroom drama. And I don't know. It's hard to give that kind of stuff a five.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very high concept episode, which is done very well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. missing that extra little X factor, I think. Mm, Uh, yeah yeah, so i guess it'll be fours from both of us uh awesome so that will do it for bullet for bullock and trial and uh thanks everyone for listening if you like it the show you can give us a rating review on itunes that would be great find us on twitter at badass podcast b-a-t-t-a-s-s podcast or an email the badass podcast at gmail.com and uh, next time we'll be doing Avatar and House and Garden, and I believe we will be joined by one of the uh, backers from my Kickstarter for that one. Oh, cool! Yeah, so I'm looking forward to to yeah. Talking he uh,
1: about it. doesn't happen to work for Mondo, does he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if
0: uh, hopefully not Mondo <laughs> or Tops, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Whoops! <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, catch you next time. Let me a die grow.